But first to the Ukraine war. Do different attitudes exist between different zones of the world? Seriously different attitudes. It's usually distilled into those tags, the global south and the global north. But if so, how significant are these differences? How deep or shallow are they? My next guest, the international affairs analyst, Dr Bobo Lowe, has concluded these differences do matter a great deal. As much to the future international order as to the immediate course of the war, that global governance could be undergoing a transformation though he does include a question mark there. Dr Lowe's been a welcome guest before on Saturday Extra talking about the Russia-China relationship and in a new Lowy Institute paper, he's now tackled an important and underrated yield of the war in his view that power in the world to come will be distributed differently. I'll let him outline his ideas. Welcome back to the program. Oh, good to be back, Geraldine. We know who's for the Ukrainians. I think, you know, the main players being most of what's called the West, UK, US, Europe, Asia, Australia. We know who's opposed, Russia and China. Who's ambivalent, though, and why does this matter? I would say most countries are ambivalent. I know that uh, those votes in the UN General Assembly were heavily in favour of the Western position of criticising and condemning uh, Moscow's invasion. But I think a lot of countries thought, look, they can vote for the UN General Assembly uh, resolution, uh, but they don't have to go any further. This is not their fight. And I think a lot of people feel, a lot of uh, governments feel, that the West is is perhaps right to criticise Russia for this, but Russia's behaviour hasn't actually been any worse than what the West has done in Iraq or Afghanistan or with Libya or in Kosovo. Now, we may agree or disagree with that proposition, but what is striking is how widespread that view is in what we would call the global south or what perhaps is more useful to call the non-West. Okay, and even when it seems, you know, contradictory, like places with very conscious of their own territorial integrity, seem unfussed by Russia invading an adjacent neighbour. Now, you you think that um, they can mount very, what is it, that they avert their gaze from that or that they just think that there is an equivalence between how the West has behaved and how Russia's behaved? A lot of countries perceive a moral and political equivalence, but there's also the attitude in much of the global south that the West um, is very quick to react on Ukraine, but say doesn't really give very much about uh, conflicts in Yemen or Ethiopia, doesn't worry about the unfair distribution of vaccine during COVID-19 largely ignores the effects of climate change on the developing world and so on. Now, again, whatever one's personal views about the rights and wrongs of this affair, this is undoubtedly an increasingly widespread attitude throughout the global south. Okay, and this is where you say you think that it does point to quite a transformation. I wonder about it in the context of what does seem to be developing um, in some talk coming out of Russia. I don't know whether you've seen it, uh, that there are emerging analyses, mainly about the Russian elites becoming aware that the Russian Federation's military certainly won't win and will highly 
likely to actually lose to face defeat might even be routed in Ukraine. Now, I, as an ex-Russian diplomat, a diplomat in Russia, I wonder how you take this and how you think it might affect some of these attitudes you're talking about. But I'm interested in both aspects, your own sense of it mm. and how you think it'll affect these countries you're describing. I certainly think that there is quite a degree of nervousness in Moscow about the forthcoming Ukrainian counteroffensive. Until now, there's been a sense that, well, the longer the conflict goes on, the more likely Russia is to win, the more um, likely there is to be Ukraine fatigue in the West. And eventually, um, yes, it's, it's proved extremely untidy, messy, protracted, but Russia will win. But now we're coming to this, what could be a real hinge uh, moment in the Ukraine war, the Ukrainian counteroffensive. If it is successful, then it will cast real questions about the not just the legitimacy, but the stability of Putin's rule. Um, but I, I, I'd be cautious about overreading into this. We in the West, and, and I have to say, I personally do want to see Putin badly defeated. But the thing is, uh, what we wish for and what will actually happen could very well be two different things. We've got to be very, very careful in the West not to indulge in wishful thinking and thinking also that the Putin regime and Putin himself is much more unstable. We kind of think that he deserves to be uh, to lose power, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he will. The Putin mm. regime could prove to be quite resilient, uh, even if the Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive is quite successful. Yes, it's just I'm, I'm actually quoting from a thread, um, quoting Greg Uden, the head of political philosophy at the Moscow School of Social and Economic Sciences, saying that he actually does hear now quite often, was the word, people in, de, in Russia talk about possible defeat which is a dramatic turn from the early months of the war. I wonder what sign you're looking for that would be a definite sort of proof to you that something is brewing there that we haven't necessarily been able to chart properly? I think if we saw Putin disappear off the airwaves for a sort of any extended period, like uh, some weeks or even months, then I think we could perhaps surmise that his regime, or he personally, uh, was in a degree of trouble. The difficulty with sort of imagining his overthrow is it, we've got to get away from the the idea of his overthrow to how is it going to happen? Who will be the first person within the Putin elite to stick his head above the parapet and say, yes, he has to go. Um, I don't think there will be any push from uh, below. I don't think we're going to see some kind of uh, large-scale popular revolt. What about so the military? The the mil mil if the military collapses and people are saying that is not beyond the realm of possibility, and that's got a great history <laughs> of uh, causing yes, trouble in, in the US, in the uh, um, uh, Russia. Yeah, but uh, you still have to have someone to actually do the overthrowing. Mm. It might actually be that his um, his mental and physical state is so degraded that rather than someone overthrowing him, he basically, 
withdraws from public life and becomes even more dysfunctional than he already is. But again, I would, uh, I'll believe it when it happens. Mm. We in the West, and also many people in Russia, are kind of so much hoping that he will go. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that he will actually go. Okay. So, and your point that you write it, uh, about is that even if this does occur, and if Ukraine, quotes, wins, that won't ease a lot of these pressures you're describing about a new international order and different emerging attitudes. Yes, because part of the problem that we face today is, again, in the West, in Australia, in the United States, in Europe, we talk a lot about the rules-based international order. But in, frankly, throughout the global South, the non-West, they see the rules-based international order as something that's shaped by Western interests and values, that is centred in Western power, and that is observed or ignored by the West whenever it feels like it. So for them, this idea, the rules-based international order, lacks legitimacy and is untenable in its present form. And what might it lead to? Because we have heard this for a while. It's just that it doesn't really seem to be translating to different power centres. Um, I think President Biden has even suggested, for instance, that the African Union might be allocated a permanent seat at the G20. That could be a specific example of this change you're describing. Is that the sort of thing you can see happening? Yes, I think I think the West has to work much harder to bring in the global South into global governance. Um, one way of doing that is institutional reform, giving the global south a much greater say in uh, inter global multilateral institutions. And certainly President Biden's suggestion that the African Union be granted a permanent place in the G20 is a step in the right direction. It's just a step, though. Uh, and um, so it can't just be one of these sort of, yes, well, that's a symbolic sort of shift, and that will be enough. I think the West also has to show much greater interest in Global South priorities, like human development, like the effects of climate change. I mean, what we saw at the uh, COP27 summit in Sharm el-Sheikh over climate transition finance is absolutely crucial because the Global South feels disregarded. And so the way to bring it on side, and it won't be an overnight thing, but the way to bring it on side is to show a much greater interest in Global South priorities, more money, but also much more representation. Uh, and for a place like Australia, do you see special challenges? Yes, I do. I think th there are plenty of challenges because because I think one of the one of the problems that Australia has always faced is that it is seen as a, almost uh, as a European transplant in uh, Asia. Now that's of course not the way we see ourselves, and I certainly see Australia as very much an uh, Indo-Pacific, as an Asian country, even. Um, but trying to persuade others that we are when we are so close to the Americans is natural going to be very challenging. I do see this as the great strategic challenge for Australia because, let's face it, the United States is going to be its security and strategic partner for the foreseeable future. And 
China will continue to be its number one economic partner, also for the foreseeable future. And how you balance those competing uh, pressures at a time of when US-China relations are worse than they have been in more than half a century, well, that's going to be extremely challenging for any Australian administration. Well, we will see whether, you know, your phrase, Western leaders will have to make room for others to shape the rules. That's really, I suppose, what's at stake here. So, uh, uh, Bobo Lowe, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It's my pleasure, Geraldine. Bobo Lowe, a non-resident fellow at the Lowy Institute, and uh, his paper that has just been released is The Ukraine Effect, Demise or Rebirth of the Global Order, and it's published by the Lowy Institute if you care to seek it out. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.